went, the morning sun was dead, the Savior of the world was fallen, his body on the cross, his blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon him. One final breath he gave as heaven looked away. The Son of God was laid in darkness. A battle in the grave, the war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake.
So, good morning. So what is going to happen to us when we die? Last week, I posed that question, and I told you that we would not get all the answers to that question. But I, I, I knew I raised that question and some other questions with the plan of giving a big picture this week and next week and over the next three or four weeks after that. The truth is, what happens after we die is going to be awesome absolutely incredible. Last week I shared with you a lot of different views of how people from different religions and how people from different parts of the world feel about this stuff, and I also even shared some views with you, uh, some differing views and opposing views of even what some Christians believe about this question. So today we're going to start answering that. And but, but it's not going to be our focus. Our focus today is on what the Bible calls resurrection. And two weeks ago, we started looking at some writings that we call 1 Corinthians. And it was a letter to a very large city in the Roman Empire. It was written about 20 years after uh, Jesus uh, uh, was alive and died and rose again. And it puts some things into perspective for us about Jesus' resurrection and about the meaning of that for our lives today and what it means for us and for our lives in the future. So today we're going to be covering 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. And I believe that what we should focus on today is the timing of the resurrection and really the timing of several things that are related to the resurrection that will take place at the end. You know, when we get our, in, by resurrection and our resurrection, I just mean when we get our new bodies. Because all people, whether they're Christians or not, are going to get a body back. So when do we get our bodies back? And when? Is it before or after Jesus comes back? Is it before or after final judgment? Or is there a seven-year tribulation? Or is there a thousand-year reign? And how does all of those things work together? What I want to do today is attempt to shed light on some of those things. I will not answer every question under the sun, but I want to share with you some things that I see in the Scripture and I want to approach this topic with a great deal of humility because there are some incredible people in my life that absolutely love God who have differing views on this from what I do. So I want to, as we explore this passage today, I want to offer my views to you humbly and I want to tell you that I am fairly convinced of what I'm teaching you, but I know that there are other many wonderful men and women of God who are fairly convinced of other views. And some of the things that we're talking today about today in relation to timing it is something that we must, uh, it's a secondary issue. It's a secondary issue. It's not an issue that should divide us as Christians. It is not as important as some of basic Christian teaching like Jesus being the only way to God or that we absolutely have to be saved if we're going to escape eternal punishment. And so what we're teaching on today isn't as big and as important as those things, but it's worth exploring. It's worth contemplating. 
it's worth diving into to some degree. And I want to invite you to dive in with me uh, today. At this time, I would like my dear friend, Christian Pierce, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 24 for us today. Go ahead, Christian. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the, fruit, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. Thank you, Christian, for reading our scripture to us today. So two weeks ago, we started in verse 1 of this chapter, and we saw that Jesus had rose from the dead, and hundreds of people saw him after he came back to life. Last week, Paul posed the question to us, what if there's no such thing as a resurrection from the dead? And if that was the case, and there were Jews that believed that at that time, and there were people, there were Gentiles who were not Jews that believed that at the time, and Paul just kind of took that idea and the implications of that idea, and he said it would mean that Jesus never rose from the dead. And we explored how that would affect our world today, and particularly how would that affect what we believed as Christians and how we lived our life. And we found out that if Jesus never rose from the dead, we would actually be quite miserable. Well, at the very end of the verse last week, which was the beginning of our passage today, I'm sorry, the end of the passage last week was verse 20. And that's the beginning of our passage today that Christian just read to us. In verse 20, Paul ended last week's passage by saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This was a bold declaration of a historical event, a true statement that really can't be denied by anyone who does the hard work and looks at the evidence and the validity of this fact that Jesus has actually risen from the dead. You know, he'd been exploring and saying, well, what if, what if, what if? And then he says, but he has. He did. And I told you last week that halfway through verse 20, a bit of a shift is made. And we're going to go deeper into this shift that was made today. In the last two weeks, he was looking at what had happened in history and how that affected his present and even our present day. But in verse 20, he, he makes this shift and we're starting to look at the future. We're starting to look at what hasn't happened yet. It had not happened yet in his day when he wrote this, and for us today in 2020, it hasn't happened for us either. But he, he tells us that Jesus being raised from the dead is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This idea of first fruits is one that we see a lot in the Old Testament, and it meant a lot to the Old Testament people of God. It's something we see in the New Testament, which is what we're in today, also. But if we're going to understand what first fruits mean, then we have to go back just a little bit. There was a festival of first fruits. There was a day of first fruits that the Jews celebrated. It was actually the day immediately after the Passover celebration. It was that time of year when their harvest was coming in. And back then, most people raised their own food and they had businesses built around 
their own food. There were no giant supermarkets. So it wasn't just a small percent of the population that was growing food. It was a large percentage of the population. And those who had a harvest, they would bring the first of their harvest to the temple or to the synagogue. Well, most of the time it was, it was the temple, but for those who couldn't travel to Jerusalem, they would bring it to the synagogue and they put it in a basket and they would present it to the priest so that the priest could use it in worship and to support their ministry. And what that was saying is that this first part of the harvest is dedicated to God. And in giving it, they would acknowledge that all the harvest that comes afterward is from God. And when I take it, that idea, and I apply it to this idea of Jesus's resurrection being the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have fallen asleep just means that those who have died. What I believe that he's saying is that Jesus is truly, really the first one that has experienced the resurrection, but that there is so much more to follow. The rest of the dead are going to follow in Jesus's footsteps. Now, someone asked me this week, and it's a question I've thought about for a long time. What about Lazarus? Didn't Jesus raise him from the dead? And, and some people in the Old Testament were raised from the dead also? Yes, they were raised from the dead. Well, why aren't they the first fruits? Well, here's the difference between Lazarus and Jesus. When Lazarus rose from the dead, he was going to die again. Jesus is the first one who has rose from the dead that will never, ever die. And that teaches us something about our own resurrections, that a day is coming in the future when we are going to get this new, glorified, perfect body, and we're going to look at what that body is going to be like in a few weeks. We're going to get a little bit kind of detailed in some ways. I'm really excited about that. But we're going to get this new body. And once we have that new body, it's going to be a body that will never, ever die again. So in verse 20, he's saying that this resurrection that happened in the past is the first fruit of the resurrections that are going to take place in the future. What Jesus did is just the beginning. But there is much more to come. One more really cool thing about first fruits that I read this week. I had no idea about this, but I thought it was so cool. The Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead was actually the day of the festival of first fruits. That is so awesome how God arranged in his wonderful and amazing perfect sovereignty, how he arranged the resurrection of Jesus to take place on that day. Now, let's look down at verses 21 and 22. And so it reads, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in, in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So he makes a statement in verse 21, it's general in nature, and in verse 22, he pretty much says the same thing over again, but it's more specific. He talks about men, two different ones, in verse 21. And by one man came death, and by another man comes resurrection. And both of those men were the first ones who experienced those things. And then in verse 22, it tells us who those men are. 
Verse 22, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. God made Adam and Eve, and Adam knew what God required of them. And Adam knew that God was his authority, and Adam made a decision to reject God's kingship, his lordship, his authority. And when he rejected that, and when he did the thing that God told him to not do, physical death entered into creation as a consequence of Adam's disbelief and disobedience of God. It was a consequence of Adam's sin. And every single descendant of Adam has followed suit. We inherited his guilt, we inherited the punishment of his sin, and we also ran right into it ourselves. And because of that, physical death has come. Well, now that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, death has no power over him. Jesus never disobeyed God. And that's why he resurrected from the dead. And when he resurrected from the dead, and we looked at this in detail over the last two weeks, he purchased our resurrection. And the truth is, whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to get a new body. It says that in John chapter 5 and 6 and a few other places also, Revelation 20, the end of the chapter. Jesus is restoring to us what we lost in Adam. When we die, our soul and our spirit are resurrected from our body. But because of Jesus' obedience and his resurrection, our soul and our spirit will take residence in a glorified, if you're a Christian, a glorified and perfect body and one day in the future. So we get to verse 23 and we start talking about timing. Let's look at what verse 23 and verse 24 have to say. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So we see the timing of things. We saw the timing being emphasized with the first fruits. Jesus was the first one and others will follow. And now that's emphasized again. And it says, we're going to have our resurrection. We're going to receive our new bodies at his coming. Those who belong to Christ will receive new bodies at his coming. This is the return of Christ. This is the second coming. Uh, this is a, the Bible says this is a very loud and event that everyone's going to know about. It's incredibly significant. So there's a reference in verse 23 to the second coming of Jesus. We've been talking about resurrection. Now we're talking about second coming. And we're asking what happens when we die. And we're thinking about the timing. And we're emphasizing the timing today because of this statement right here. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then verse 24, it says, then comes the end. So there's a resurrection of our body. 
that will take place when Jesus comes and then comes the end. And the rest of verse 24 tells us what's going to happen at the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. I'm going to call that final judgment. So we have three things working here in, in these two verses. We have a resurrection of our bodies. We have the return of Christ or the second coming of Jesus. And we have the uh, final judgment. The clearest and plainest reading of these two verses that makes me think, makes me believe that we're going to get our new bodies and Jesus is going to, that's going to happen when Jesus returns. And after Jesus returns, then there's going to be final judgment. And we're going to look more final judgment next week. And I am so glad that there's going to be a final judgment. I have hope because there's a final judgment. We'll dive into that next week as we explore verses 24 through 28. But just a plain, clear, simple reading of this makes me think that this is all like happens the same day. So when dealing with a passage like this, it's important that we hold up what other scriptures say in regards to these matters. We need to look at what Jesus says. We need to look at other things that Paul wrote. We need to look at the book of Revelation. Uh, we're not going to do this today, but it's often helpful to look at the Old Testament. It's something that I have spent some time doing. And we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So there's a few different uh, popular interpretations of this matter of timing that exists within Christianity today. And, and I have great respect for all kinds of people who hold all three of these views. But one view is called dispensational premillennialism. Don't let the big words get you. Dispensational premillennialism is what I was exposed to uh, the most uh, in my life as I've learned um, about what the Bible says about the end times from other people. Um, if you've read the Left Behind series, um, that, took a, that uh, was a presentation of this view. But in this view, we have, and you'll see it on your screen, we have the cross of Christ. That's over there on your left. Okay, that happened 2,000 years ago. And then at some point in the future, there's going to be a rapture where all of God's people are taken up uh, to meet the Lord in the air. Then there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. An Antichrist will come during this time. And then there is the second coming. There is a resurrection of Christians at that time that is different from the resurrection of non-Christians. There's a thousand-year period that is often referred to as the millennium. And then at the end of the millennium, there's the resurrection of non-Christians. And then there's Judgment Day followed by the eternal state, which is the founding of the, which is uh, when the new heavens and the new earth arrive. So secondly, we have a view that is very, very similar. The, it's called historic premillennialism. And it's called this because Christians have held to this view for looking at church history at least 1,700 years. The first view we looked at, um, people only started coming up with that view prior to the Civil War here in the United States. And it really wasn't found anywhere at all in the world until the U.S. made it very, very popular um, you know, following. So, so it, it, it's something that started here with us. But, but this view, historic premillennialism, is very similar, but it's something that Christians have had. Um, we can date it back 1,800 years to shortly after the time that Jesus lived. 
And so you see that the only difference here is that there's no rapture and there's no seven-year period of time. The first view I showed you, I had strong reasons to reject that view. Now, it could be right, <laughs> so hear me say that, but I am very much persuaded that it is not true. The second view could be the case based on my study. It, that, that there's some things that make me think that this might be true, but I, I, I do, there are some difficulties with it. Let's look at a third view, and this third view is called ah millennialism. So we have the, and it's very different from the first and second views. We have the cross of Jesus, and then we have the church age. That's where we're at here in 2020. And then we have this point where a lot of things happen. And they all happen at right about the same time. We have the second coming of Jesus. We have the resurrection of believers. We have the resurrection of unbelievers. And we have final judgment. And all of those things are going to happen within a very short period of time. I'm guessing within hours or within a day. I can't say for sure because the scripture just doesn't tell us to the best of my knowledge. Following this is the what we call the eternal state. Where we um, have the new heaven and the new earth. So, which one is it? I want to share with you why this third view sounds the best to me. And we're going to look at a few other passages to, um, to support this. Go back to John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So in verse 28, he says that an hour is coming. And when that hour comes, everyone that's dead is going to hear the voice of God, and they're going to come out. And some of those people are going to come out to the resurrection of life. So, so that means, uh, well, well, let's go on. And then some are going to, who have done evil, will go to the resurrection of judgment. So verse 28 and 29 is strong evidence that both the Christians and non-Christians receive their new bodies at the exact same time, and because it's at that hour, it's not two different hours, it's not two different occasions, but it's at that hour, and that all of that is going to happen at judgment. So these verses caused me to reject the first two views I showed you, which uh, have the resurrection of believers at the beginning of a millennium period and the resurrection of unbelievers at the end of a millennium period. If we go to John chapter 6, verse 39, it says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus is saying that I will raise up people on the, the Christians on the last day. The third view of amillennialism embraces that wholeheartedly. We go to verse 44 of John chapter 6, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And if you read the rest of John chapter 6, there's two different occasions where that takes place. So the next verse is back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. It's at the end of the chapter, verses 51 and 52. Paul writes this, Behold, 
I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That change he's talking about is the resurrection. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So here we have a trumpet. And, and the trumpet is, that's what takes place at Judgment Day. This is Judgment Day, when the resurrection and final judgment all take place. Let's look at another verse that tells us about a trumpet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. That's the second coming. That is the second coming. We're, we're seeing these elements of resurrection, of the second coming, and a final judgment. They're all together in Paul's mind. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. People, uh, the, in the first view I showed you, say that this is the rapture that takes place prior to the seven years. I reject that. I believe strongly that this is about us receiving our new bodies. And Revelation eleven fifteen gives further evidence that when the trumpet is blown, that is the end. So Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is final judgment. It's the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth because the kingdom of the world is now the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that very clearly in our passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 next week. If you look at Revelation 20, which is the only verse in the Bible that says there's a thousand-year period, if you look at that, I believe it fits with this. It's kind of tricky. It's kind of difficult uh, to figure out how it all fits with this, but I do believe that there is a satisfactory answer to these questions. So, so what's going to happen after we die? I believe immediately after we die, our our bodies are going to remain here, and if you know Christ, your soul and your spirit is going to be with God. And, and, and then, if you don't know Christ, there's going to be a place of torment that you're in without your body, and your body is going to remain here. Well, I believe that at some point in the future, it could be later today, it could be before you watch this, it could be uh, uh, thousands of years from now, I believe the Lord is going to return, and when He does, we're going to get our new bodies and there's going to be final judgment that takes place. And then the new heavens and the new earth are going to be established. The kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of Christ. And, 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 and we're going to live in perfect, resurrected, glorified bodies if you're a Christian. And, and, and you're just going to see God face to face. And it is going to be beautiful. It's going to be incredible. So what is it that we should be doing until that time? I submit a few things to you. I submit to you this. Meditate and study and read on these things of which I speak today. Contact me. I, loads of things I'd love to share with you. There's so many conversations we can have. 
uh, in response to what, what we've uh, looked at today. I want you to rejoice in what we have read today. I also want you to work really, really hard loving other people and proclaiming the gospel because it's only by the gospel that we are saved. And God is patient, waiting for people to come to repentance, but they can't know Jesus. They can't repent. They can't be forgiven of their sin without the gospel. Well, you ask this question, what is the gospel? Well, he, Paul answered that. In chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And he, he goes on to say that this is the gospel, that Jesus died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We looked at that at Easter. That's the gospel message. We saw in verse 21 and 22, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So with Adam, he sinned. He rejected God. With us, we uh, did the same thing. Not only did we inherit his guilt, but we did the exact same same thing and his guilt is now ours but Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again from the dead so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin so that God could begin making us new God wants you to believe him God wants you to believe the gospel God wants you, he is inviting you to be a part of his family. God wants you to prepare for judgment day. He wants you to prepare for the second coming. Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you turn to God? Would you repent of your sin? Would you make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior? I want to ask you to do that today. I want you to be ready and to be a part of the resurrection of life and not that resurrection of judgment. I want you to be ready and I want you to be prepared. Would you join me and so many others that are part of this church and, and, and churches all over this world? And would you believe in Christ for salvation? And would you do it today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel message. And God, we thank you for the promise of your return. Would you speak to us and would you show us all that you have for us? God, may we approach the scriptures humbly. May we approach one another humbly. May we approach you and all of life with the humility that brings honor and glory to your name. And God, may we be ready. May we watch and be ready, eagerly anticipating and desiring your return. So here's what I want you to do. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, I want you to contact us. Our contact info is in the show notes below. If 
what I've shared with you today causes you to rejoice and causes you to reflect in Christ, reflect on Christ in a deeper, more meaningful way. I want you to sing. I want you to sing to God. Let's sing of the greatness of our incredible God.
close today, I'd like us to pray together. I'll lead us. I want us to take our world to God. I want us to stand in the gap. I want us to intercede and bring our world to the Lord who loves this world so dearly. Let's pray together. Father God, we, the world is in the midst of an incredibly wild and crazy season. A few things compared to it. God, we need you. God, there are hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions, who have suffered loss. Be with those who are grieving. May you comfort them and show them the way forward. God, for frontline workers, those in the hospitals and in the industries that have been hit the hardest. God, would you give our doctors and our nurses and our medical care professionals great wisdom. Lord, those frantically learning how to manufacture ventilators, God, would you give them success in their endeavors. God, you're gracious upon us all. I just pray that you'd give them grace so that they can do what needs to be done. God, for our government leaders, for emperors, for dictators, for, for democracies and kings and princes and just presidents and congresses, God, give them wisdom. May they know what is best for their people, and may they make decisions out of pure and right motives, oh God. May they do what is best for the people. God, for those out of the job, would you provide for them? Would others be generous to them? And would people, would we learn to trust you in the midst of scarcity? For those going stir-crazy that are stuck in an apartment in an apartment and there's no way out. God, I pray that you would meet with them in this very difficult season. God, I ask for provision. Some provide the toilet paper, the food, everything that's needed, the money for the rent, all these things. Would you provide for people throughout this world? And God, would you grant us patience as we're ready for things to move forward and as we're ready to not be on lockdown, as we are awaiting the moment when we can gather in this room and worship Jesus the way we always have. God, would you grant us patience? God, would you also grant us love for you? Would you, or love in general, love for you, First and foremost, for this is our greatest, your greatest commandment. And then, God, would you grant us love for others? Give us love for our neighbor. Give us love for our enemy as you have commanded us to love. God, we are in need. And apart from you, we have no hope. So, God, draw near to us as we wait for you. Amen. And now may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father 
and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints.